1 Peter chapter 1 is our scripture lesson today. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. You've probably heard of the Roman Emperor Nero, and you've probably heard the phrase, Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Well, during his reign, Rome did burn. In fact, July the 19th, A.D. 64, the fire began, and it basically devastated the city. I tried to find where Nero was fiddling while Rome burned, and I, I couldn't find any account to confirm that, but I have found historic accounts of him watching the fire from a tower up above the city and remarking on how beautiful the flames were. So that's probably where that, he just fiddling around while Rome burned. He was widely blamed for the fire, and according to Tacitus, the Roman historian of that day, in order to divert blame from himself, <laughs> Nero was a politician. <laughs> in order to divert blame from himself, he falsely blamed the Christians. Because after all, they preached that the world would end in flames. And so what better group to, to be the scapegoat for this? And so he put all the blame on the Christians. And as a result of that, the persecution of Christians intensified. It started out, well, you're, you, you set the fire, so you're to blame. But they'd already been suffering for their faith. So this persecution intensifies. And I've told you before about how kind and gentle Nero was, that he would get a Christian, roll them in pitch, and then set them on fire on a pole to light his gardens at night. He was famous for wrapping up Christians in the skins of wild animals and then setting his hunting dogs on them to tear them to shreds. He was not a good guy. First Peter was written about A.D. 64. Second Peter was written a couple of years later. And so it is to believers living in that kind of world. All right? It's important that we get the stage set. They are going through intense persecution. They are being blamed for the burning of Rome. They are being tortured and put to death. And it is at that point that Peter is writing his letters. So, what do you suppose the Lord would inspire Peter to write to a group of people going through that kind of persecution? What would you tell believers who are living in that kind of world? Well, I would encourage you, 1 Peter's a short book, and I would encourage you as we're going through this study through the book, just read it through, you know, every once in a while, just sit down and read it through. It won't take you that long. And, and you'll discover that there's three basic themes in the book. The first one is suffering is going to come. Just understand persecution, tests, suffering, 
is going to come. Uh, somebody who had more time than I did counted them, and they said like 15 times at least in this short book, Peter talks about suffering. But the second theme is that no matter how intense the suffering gets, through Christ, you have hope. You have hope now, and you have ultimate hope when Christ returns. That's another one of the themes through First and Second Peter. Hang on to your hope. Christ is coming. But the third lesson is critically important. Here are some practical lessons on how to live at this point. I, I'm, I may say this two or three times because I've noted it two or three times in my notes because I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget to say this. Nothing that I say in this lesson today is a call for us to move away from society. Nothing that Peter wrote was a call to move up to the hills somewhere with only Christians and you know get yourselves in a cloister or a monastery and, and disengage from the world. In fact, just the opposite. All through the books of 1 and 2 Peter, Peter says, here's how you live in this kind of the world. You're suffering, yet you're hopeful. Here's how to live. And he uses the word grace in every chapter. And chapter 5, verse 12 says, It is grace that will give you the power to stand fast during suffering. So as I really delved into this, I began to realize, well, this is why the Lord is leading us to study this right now, because we're living in a world, I mean, nobody's sicking dogs on us yet, you know, but, but we're living in a world that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, and, and more and more I, I hear people say, how are we supposed to live in this world? What are we supposed to do? And I think Peter has some answers for us. And so, Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at, at these books. There are some key words in the verses we read today, verses 1 and 2. The word exiles, or sojourners, or strangers. The word scattered. The word chosen. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. Grace. Peace. That ought to be enough for at least one sermon, right? So, let's look at these two verses and what Peter says about living as strangers in a strange land. The first word he uses, or the second word he uses actually, is the word scattered. It means dispersed. And he says you're and he mis, mentions five different geographic locations of the Roman Empire. What's interesting about Peter is that he's not writing to the church at Ephesus, or the church at Philippi, or the church that meets in Philemon's house. He's writing to believers who have been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And they were scattered, you may remember, because of persecution. In Acts chapter 7, you read of the stoning of Stephen. And chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts says... On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And now, 30 years later, roughly, 
The scattering has gone beyond that. And as you read Peter, you understand he's also writing to Gentile believers. And so he is saying to these believers, you're not located at, in one city. You're, you're everywhere because the persecution has scattered you. And, and so I'm writing to you, which I, which I think kind of is, is helpful because, oh, that's us. You know, uh, you ever feel scattered? <laughs> you know, that, that is like, you know, I, I don't know how I ended up here. Why am I the only Christian on my job? Why am I the only Christian you know, here? And, and sometimes we feel like we're all alone trying to live for God. These were scattered. But what really got me was the word before that. The NIV translates it exiles. The King James, which is the word I like because it's got an S, is the word strangers. And I studied the meaning of the word, and it basically means you're not living in your homeland. And there's actually, an, it, sometime we don't have anything else to do, it might be interesting, there's, and I can't remember the, the URL of it, but there's a website that compares different translations of the scripture. And so you can type in a verse, and it pops up with like 25 or 30 different translations and paraphrases and how they uh, interpret that verse. And so here's some of the ways that this word, exiles or strangers, have been translated or paraphrased. Sojourners, strangers, aliens, exiles, refugees, temporary residents, people living away from their homes, pilgrims, foreigners. That's who Peter says we are. He uses similar words in chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, you were aliens and strangers. The King James says, strangers and pilgrims. I want to just catch a breath there and let you mull on that. Peter says, that's who we are. Strangers, foreigners, temporary residents, people away from our homes, in this world. As I was sitting at my desk, kind of said, oh, I think maybe that'll preach. You know, let me mull on this a while. My mind went <clears throat> to songs that the church has sung through the years. My mom had a record, for those of you who don't know, it's how we have to used to listen to music, had a record of Tennessee Ernie Ford singing spirituals. And I can hear that rich baritone voice singing, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger. I wondered what a wayfaring stranger was. It means somebody traveling on foot, usually traveling by themselves. So you get that kind of isolated, you know, walking from one place to the other. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world below. Any of y'all ever hear that song? Okay, some of you have. All right. There's no sickness, no toil or danger in that bright land to which I go. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is hard and steep, yet beauteous fields arise before me where God's redeemed their vigils keep. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. And for a long time the church sang, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And then in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a song in Southern Gospel Music that said, I'm a citizen of two worlds, and it's hard to choose between them. I live here, but my home you cannot see. I'm a citizen of heaven, or I'm going to have a mansion. And my real home right now is calling me. And more recently, and we have sung it in the past as part of our worship set, Building 429 said, All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world, but give me Jesus. For centuries, the church has sung about this world not being our home. But I'm not quite sure that this generation of Christians really understand the implications of that. So Peter says, you need to understand this. Heaven is your home. Heaven is where you belong. You're only a temporary visitor here on this earth. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. This is not a theme that only Peter talks about. The writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 13 and 16. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So I'm going to sit here for a couple minutes and let's think about what it means to be a stranger an exile a foreigner a temporary visitor here on this earth there are simplistic and not very profound and not very meaningful examples of being in a different place than where you are supposed to be and where you have some culture shock. If you were raised in the north and you came to Georgia, this happened to me, and I'm sitting there and the waitresses are saying, honey and sugar, I still got it. (laughs) Donna says, that's just southern for they don't know your name. Oh, you know. Donna grew up in Louisiana I grew up up north. We first got married. We're living in this little house. Uh, I was thinking about it as I was thinking about this. She was in the back room. I was in the front room. You know, that's kind of the house. Um, You know, the front room was the kitchen, and you had a little table, and you had the living room. And I think probably that whole house would have fit on the first floor of the house we're in now. I don't know. But, But she's in the back, and she says, Honey, cut the eye on. No idea. What? Cut to ion. 
I didn't know our house had an ion. And I wouldn't know what tool to use to cut it. What? Cut the ion. I'm sorry, babe. I don't know what you mean. Cut the ion. What? I said, on the stove. Oh, turn the burner on. Yeah, I, I was a stranger in a strange land, you know. But, you know, there, there are examples like that where, you know, culture is a little different and the terms are a little different. But maybe you've been in the military and you've been stationed in another country or you traveled and you were in a country. You know, sometimes, theoretically, they're speaking the same language. But if you ever watch British television, you'll understand there's a difference between American English and British English, you know? And, and if we watch British television, the subtitles are always on if there's an option. Because especially if it's a show from Scotland or something, we can't understand anything that they're saying. But then imagine going to a place where not only do they speak a totally different language, their social mores are the exact opposite of the way you were raised. Their value system is upside down. What you look at as evil and greed, they look at as brilliance and cunning. What you looked at as evil, they look at as something to be admired. Where the moral standards are totally different than what you're accustomed to. You wouldn't be there very long not being able to understand the language, not having any idea of how they got their social structure and their mores and their values. And before long, you'd probably be at least thinking, I got to get out of here. I don't belong here. Peter says that's how it is to live as a follower of Christ in this world. Have you increasingly found yourself thinking, I don't think I belong here anymore. This world, I'm not comfortable in it anymore. Jesus said that as time wraps up, evil people are going to get worse and worse. So don't be surprised at the increasingly difficult challenges of living as a Christian in this world. And I really think that one of the things God has to say to us is understand the fact that this is not your home. You're just here temporarily. You're a stranger. You're an exile. You're a foreigner. And if we can really understand that, it will help us better understand the tension of living in this world. When, as the scripture says, our citizenship is in heaven. Because we are increasingly living in a world with different values and different morals and different standards than the values of a believer of Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised when evil people act like evil people. <laughs> we, sh I mean, did you, I don't know if you've seen the clip or not, it's kind of scary to watch the clip, where a 
actress was on television the other day saying that they should murder pro-life you know, legislators. She wasn't joking. Look at her face. Why would that surprise us? Why does it surprise you when, if you're speaking biblical truth, you're called a hater? Why should it surprise you if you speak biblical truth, they're going to try to, to shut you down and cancel you? Because we're strangers here. This world is not our home. This is not our native place. And Warren Wiersbe says, the fact that we're living in a place that's not our home gives us opportunity for witness, but it also leads to warfare. And that's certainly true. We are in a spiritual war. And by the way, and this is an interesting twist on this, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, Peter says, they think it's strange that we don't partake with them in their sins, and they'll heap abuse on us. So on the one hand, you've got us saying, how in the world can you believe that? On the other hand, they're saying, how in the world can you not join us with this? And they heap abuse on us. So again, let me say, <laughs> the human reaction to this would be, i got to get out of here. You know, let, Let's go build a, a, a commune somewhere and only Christians can be here. No, that's not the call. We need to live with the reality that the tension is real between this world and heaven. And as citizens of both places, which are real citizenship in heaven, we're going to feel that tension. And so Peter is writing his letter to people of the first century who felt that tension in very dramatic ways. And we can learn from it as we increasingly feel that tension in our day. Not a call to isolate, a call to engage our society the best we can while we're still here. So let's go on to some more encouraging things. Verse 2, he says, you've been scattered, you are strangers, but you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. I've, I've taught you this before. I'm going to just take a couple minutes and go over it again because it's important. Whom did he choose? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. A few months ago, we were in 1 Thessalonians. We know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep convictions. In other words, Paul said to them, we know you were chosen because you responded to the gospel. Now there are some who teach, still in the church world today, there are some who teach that God has chosen only certain ones to be saved. I don't find that anywhere in scripture. Uh, what I do find is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. These verses are in your notes. If you've not downloaded them yet, uh, go to the link in the comment section and download the notes. The scriptures are there. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in. 
You know who whosoever, what that means? It means whosoever. <laughs> anyone, you know what that means? It means anyone. God is not willing that any should perish. And you become chosen when you respond in faith to the gospel. And I encourage you, if you're interested in, in reading this from a more theological perspective, find the book. It's still out there on Amazon. Find the book, Elect in the Son, by Robert Shank. But what were we chosen for? Ephesians 1, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Romans 8, you remember 28, God is working in everything for our good. Verse 29, because he's predestinated us or chosen us to be conformed to the image of his son. When we accept Christ, we are chosen, if you will, to be like him, which leads to the next thing he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And if you want more detail on this, uh, there is a sermon. If you go to our YouTube page, Open Door Community Augusta, and go to our, our YouTube page, you'll find our sermon archives, and you'll find an archive of First Thessalonians sermons, the August 14th, 2022, I, I preached a sermon, Sanctification, What's That?, which will go into much more detail on this, and you can find that still on, on our YouTube page. Sanctification means two things. It means to set apart for a specific sacred purpose. And you are set apart for a specific sacred purpose. God has put his name on you. He has sanctified you. <coughs> Remember when you work and you've got a, a, a community refrigerator and when you brought your lunch, you put your name on it, right? That this is mine. Because there's always that somebody's put a letter. If there's anything left in here after Friday, it'll be gone, you know. Uh, and it wasn't. But sometimes it was gone two hours later because some lunch thief you know, wanted yours instead of theirs. But, you know, you put your name on it. So this is mine. It's set apart for me. God puts his name on you. And he says, you are set apart for me. But the word sanctification also means to make holy. It means to become more and more like Christ, which is why he says you have been sanctified to be obedient to Christ. And again, find that sermon from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 on August the 14th, 2022, and there's more information about the, the word sanctification. But then he says, grace and peace be yours. We are sanctified, we are chosen, we receive his grace, and we receive his peace. And again, 1 Thessalonians has these same themes, and if you're at that 1 Thessalonian playlist from 2022, you'll also find January the 30th, a sermon called Grace Will Lead Me Home, and February the 6th, a sermon titled Still in One Peace. Now the reason I reference those sermons is I'm not going to re-preach them, uh, but they are out there so that you can say, I wish I knew more about that. I've already done that, and, and I'm not going to bore you by repeating it. You can find it online. And the great thing about being online is you can just skip through the parts you didn't want to hear. But notice that grace always precedes peace. 
Grace is the cause. Peace is the result. You have to know God's grace before you can experience his peace. You can't have peace unless first you experience his grace. His grace is all those good things that he gives us that we could never deserve. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, Peter says, Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will do these things for you. He will personally, I like that, personally, restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little. <laughs> And we're going to be talking about suffering, you know, through the book, because he talks about it through the book. But the suffering is always tied to hope and grace and peace. And he says, God will restore you. That word can mean to repair you. Oh, I love that. Anybody need repairing? God's in the repair business. <clears throat> there used to be a show, and we found it, and then... We watched everything they had, and apparently it never got renewed. It was called the repair shop. And people would bring in their old heirlooms and things that have just been, maybe they'd been burned, or maybe they'd been dropped or something. And these incredible craftsmen would put it back together. And, and you see these people come back and get this significant piece of their family, and just in tears at, at what the difference it made. That's what God does to us. He takes our broken, crushed, messed up pieces of life and restores us. He repairs us. He will establish us. He'll make you stable. We need stability. When you're going through tough times in life, you need some stability. God's the source of that stability. He will strengthen you. And he will support you. I like that. He establishes me, but then he himself is the support. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. So we receive his grace. We receive his peace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I like that. Abundant grace, abundant peace, you need it if you're living as a stranger in a strange land. You need abundant grace and peace. Hopefully you know where I'm going next. Hopefully you've heard me preach on peace enough that you know that the key is to focus on God's presence with you. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The key to God's peace is to keep your mind focused on Him. I was amazed over the last two or three years how many people, not, not believing Christians, just people who, who emphasize you know, positive attitudes and being upbeat and those kind of things, were saying in unison, stop watching the news. Stop going on social media. All you're going to do is cause stress and anxiety and worry, and you can't do anything about it. Stay away from it. 
you know, the more you focus on what's wrong, well, I mean, you know that's true in anything. The more you focus on what's wrong with your job, the more you're going to hate it. I, I think it was probably our HR person put a sign up on a door in, in, in our building that says, when you think about quitting, remember why you started. And I see that, and you know what I said. I started because I needed money, you know? <laughs> and that's the reason I keep doing it, because I need money. But, but you know, they're, they're trying to be a little more positive than that. But, but the more you focus on what's wrong with your spouse, the unhappier you are in your marriage. The more you focus on what's wrong with the church, the more unhappy you are. I mean, it just that's the way it works. And so Isaiah says, if you want peace, focus on God. Keep your mind set on him. Because peace is not the absence of suffering or danger. Peace is the presence of God that will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. And then to have his peace, trust his promises. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, famous passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, don't worry about anything. And again, let me just define that worry is over something you can't do anything about. There are things that trouble us, and it's our responsibility with God's help to handle them. And we need to pray about those, and we need to think about those, and then we need to act on them. That's not worry. That's responsibility. But worry is about things that are out of your control. Things that you don't have anything to do with how it resolves, and you can't do anything about it. Paul says in Philippians 4, don't, don't worry about that. Don't be torn up about that. Do what you can, then give it to God. And I don't know about your life, but I find in my life a lot of the things that I am mulling over in my mind, I can't do anything about anyway. You know, just so, and, and he says, don't, pray, don't worry about those things. Give them to God. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And I'm listening to that, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And he lists prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Prayer is a general word. And, and actually the definition of that word includes worship. Petition is a specific prayer. And when you pray, pray specifically. And then thanksgiving. Don't forget to thank God for answers from the past. Don't forget to thank him that he's going to answer right now. Although sometimes no is an answer. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. What a word for us today. What a word for those Christians of the first century who are literally being killed for their faith. 
But what a word for us in 2023 who are increasingly seeing biblical values and standards being mocked and and being fought against and, and tried to silence to don't worry about anything. Give it to God. Pray about everything and enjoy grace and peace in abundance. Strangers in a strange land. <laughs> That's who we are. But we are covered by God's hand. And the next verse, which is really where I wanted to start in this series through 1 Peter, says we have a living hope. And that's the good news, and that's the theme through the book. We have hope in the midst of the challenges of life. And, and that's what I want to leave us on today. Yes, we are strangers in a strange land. Yes, we're poor wayfaring strangers. But we have hope because we know God. And we know how the story ends. Father, what a challenge it is for us to live as your people, faithful to your word, in this society. And I ask you, Father, to give us abundant grace and peace. I ask you to help us keep our minds fixed on you. I ask you to help us to keep the perspective that this world is not our home. Yes, we are to do everything we can to make a difference here. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. But we're not going to be able to bring in utopia. That's only going to happen when, Jesus, you come back and set up your kingdom on this earth. Until then, help us to be faithful witnesses of what it means to be a Christian. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us the ability to know what to say when and, and to, to be an effective witness for you in this world. So that when we leave this world, we'll have left it a better place for those who knew us and interacted with us because of your presence in our lives. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. Congratulations. Now go home and take a nap. God bless you.